0: We are kicking off a brand new series today called At The Movies. And everyone loves a good story. I mean, from the time you were a kid and your parents would tell you a story before you went to bed to the first time you watched Star Wars and you were hooked, that everyone loves a good story. And Jesus knew that. Jesus was the master storyteller. And when Jesus talked about spiritual truths, he would use modern-day stories to bring those truths to life. Jesus would tell stories about a farmer. ...who was going out to plant seed. He would tell a story about a man who was going on a journey... ...and then he was, he was attacked by robbers... ...about a woman who had ten coins he lost one, that she lost one. That Jesus would use these stories... ...to help convey these spiritual truths in our life. And that's the idea of this series. Is that movies are like our modern day parables. That, that over the next few weeks... ...that we're going to be using these modern day stories to help us convey some spiritual truths. And since today was a Memorial Day weekend, I decided that I would choose Saving Private Ryan. Because as as we think about this weekend and what it's about, that we are reminded of the sacrifice of men and women who have paid the ultimate price for our freedom. That we have... We have people in our country, men and women, who have laid down their lives so that we could be a free country. And so we take this weekend, and specifically tomorrow, to honor those people. Memorial Day actually started after the Civil War. That after this tragic battle that we had in our country where over 500,000 soldiers lost their lives in the Civil War, that people started putting flowers on the graves of, of those soldiers who lost their lives. And it's been celebrated ever since it became an official holiday in 1971. And so this is a weekend where we honor those who have laid down their life, but also to honor our veterans and our active military. And so I want to take the opportunity to do that for just a minute this morning, as I want to honor... All of our veterans, all of those who are serving today in the military, and we want to honor you. So if you would just stand up for just a minute so we can honor all of those who have served. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Just honored to have you here, and thank you for the the sacrifices that you've made so that we could be a free country. Well, today, this movie, Saving Private Ryan, it's about eight soldiers who go to save one man. A mom has four sons, and three of them die in the Second World War, and so they go to to take the last son so they can bring him home, and so they send these eight soldiers into enemy territory so that they can save this one man. They will risk their lives. They will lay down their lives, and uh, later on in the in the service, later on in my message, I'm going to show a clip at the end of the movie that's a PG clip. So just if you have kids here and that, and you don't want them to see that, take them to our children's ministry, but it is part of just this whole idea of the sacrifice that is made for us. Well, the Bible tells us about a similar quest, that God goes after one man, and in the story we're going to look at today, he's known as Saul, but we know him as the Apostle Paul, And God goes after him because he has a purpose for his life. He has a greater purpose for Paul's life of what God is going to accomplish in him. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 8. We're also going to look at Acts chapter 9. That the setting of this story is the church has just begun. The church has begun. It's beginning to explode. And thousands are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the early leaders of the church, his name is Stephen. Stephen was was actually the first deacon of the church. A deacon is just a servant. So he is chosen as, as these men who are serving in the church. And he begins to speak boldly about his faith. That the religious leaders start seeing this and they're threatened by this. And so the religious leaders, they arrest Stephen. And people start to falsely accuse him of what he's been doing. Well, he's brought before the Sanhedrin for questioning. The Sanhedrin is like our Supreme Court. It's like the Supreme Court for the Jewish people. And he begins to walk through the Old Testament, making a case why Jesus isn't the Messiah that was to come. And at the end of his message, people get angry, and they drag him outside of the city, and they stone him, and Stephen becomes the first martyr. Well, once he is killed it empowers the enemies of the church and there is this widespread persecution and there is one man that God is going to go after. We're going to start here in in Acts chapter 8. It says this. It says and Saul approved of their killing him. That we are introduced to the main character. That we're introduced to Saul who is there giving approval for the murder of Stephen. And Saul will become the focus of the rest of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is just how the church began from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven. It is the early history of the church. Now, Saul is his Hebrew name, and he changes his name, becomes known as the Apostle Paul. But he's giving approval to the death of Stephen. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. This is a fulfillment of Jesus' words that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. This is the very beginning of this. Is that The gospel is now going to start to spread throughout the world, and it happens through persecution. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, and Saul began to destroy the church. This word destroy is the word that they would use for an animal that would tear another animal apart, a wild animal. And it says, going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them into prison. The reason that he went from house to house is because there was no such thing as a church building back in those days. That the church, they met in the people's homes. And so the apostle Paul, known as Saul here, is going in and he's dragging these people out. He's dragging the Christians out to to arrest them. And Saul becomes the number one enemy of the church. And his goal is to stamp out the local church. To put an end to this movement once and for all. And this goes on for three years. Maybe you're at a place where you're going through a difficult time and you don't understand why God is not intervening right now. This persecution, this early persecution where Saul is doing this, it goes on for three years. He continues to persecute the church. He arrests them. He throws them into jail, and many of these Christians will be put to death. But because the Christians are scattered, the message of Jesus, it begins to spread around the world. Now going to chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone that belonged to the way, hold on to that for just a second, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul goes to the high priest that he's wanting actual authority to go in and to, to go to Damascus to arrest the Christians and to bring them back to Jerusalem to put them on trial. And it says that he's arresting people who belong to the way. Now at this point in church history, Christians were not called Christians. That they were called the way and it's probably because Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that the early believers just referred to themselves, that we're just part of the way. We're, we're just part of, of the way that Jesus has set up. And so Saul is on his way to Damascus. He has these official letters to arrest the Christians. He's going to bring them back, and he's going to try them. And he says, as uh, verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? See, I think this is very interesting because Jesus, who was speaking to him, didn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He didn't say, why are you persecuting it? Why are you persecuting them? Because it is personal. When the Apostle Paul is telling this story in Acts chapter 26, a similar story that he's sharing, he adds this. that that Jesus says it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, a goad was a sharp stick that a farmer would use to get oxen to go into the direction that they wanted to go into. And what he's saying is you're fighting this losing battle that God is, is trying to direct you, and you're fighting against him. But he says, why do you persecute me? Because this is personal. This isn't a persecution of a religious institution. This is personal against Jesus. Or drink anything. That he was blinded by the light. That's where that phrase comes from. If you remember that 70s song, Blinded by the Lights, um, that's where that comes from. That his whole worldview is turned upside down. Because Saul thinks that he's serving God. Saul thinks that, that he's serving God by putting these Christians to death, but he's going against God, against God's mission. And meanwhile, we're introduced to the second character in our story, verse 10. It says in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, so telling him exactly where he go. This is where he lives. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him, to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on his name. He's like, I know this guy. I have heard of his name. And he's come to arrest and kill the Christians. God, I think you've got the wrong guy. I don't think you want me to go to him. I think you want me to run from him. I mean, what are you saying here? Because I don't completely understand this. And God says, no, I want you to go to him. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He says, he's my chosen instrument. I think Ananias is like, what? What do you mean he's your chosen instrument? No, this is the biggest enemy of the church. This is the one who's against Christians. This is the man who's responsible for, for murdering my friends. This is the man who's responsible for arresting Christians, dragging them out of their houses, and then you never hear from them again. And God says, this is the one who's going to take the gospel to the world. He's going to turn the world upside down. Well, Ananias agrees to go. And he goes and he finds Saul. He places his hands on him. And the scripture says that something like scales fall from his eyes. And then Saul is baptized. Because that's the first thing. It's an immediate thing. That when you come to faith in Christ, just like we saw this morning, the next step for you, it is baptism. Well, the story ends like this in verse 22. It says, at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not even left Damascus. And so, he went from persecuting the Christians to now preaching about Jesus. And those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful. And he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Then verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. And you can understand why. You know, all of the disciples, I'm not meeting with him. You know, he can't. it's some kind of trick. He's going to come try to infiltrate us and try to take over. And they're scared to death of him. And God will take the most unlikely candidates in the first century. And God will turn the world upside down. That God came after the one. Because this is what God is in the business of doing. And for some of you, this is your story. That God would come after the most unlikely unlikely candidates and turn their world upside down, turn their life around and change them because God has a plan and a purpose for your life just like he had a plan and a purpose for Paul's life. See, when you've been rescued like Paul was rescued, when you've been rescued, when people have sacrificed to you, there is a responsibility that comes with that. You can't just go on and just live life as normal. There is a responsibility that comes when your life has been paid for by another life. There's a responsibility. Well, in the movie Saving Private Ryan, these eight soldiers they go in and they not only risked their life for the one, some of them laid down their life to bring him home. And at the climax of this movie, you see this, this scene. Where at the very end, they're about to bring Private Ryan home, and you see the, the price that's been paid for his life. What's this? They're tank busters, sir, P 51s. Angels on our shoulders. What, sir?
1: with the most profound sense of joy that I write to inform you, your son, Private James Ryan, as well, and at this very moment, on his way home from European battlefields. Reports from the front indicate James did his duty in combat with great courage and steadfast dedication. Even after he was informed of the tragic loss your family has suffered in this great campaign to rid the world of tyranny and oppression. I take great pleasure in joining the Secretary of War, the men and women of the United States Army, and the citizens of a grateful nation, in wishing you good health and many years of happiness with James at your side. Nothing, not even the safe return of a beloved son, can compensate you or the thousands of other American families who have suffered great loss in this tragic war. I might share with you some words which have sustained me through long, dark nights of peril, loss, and heartache, and I quote, I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement, and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost, and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom, Abraham Lincoln. Yours very sincerely and respectfully, George C. Marshall, General Chief of Staff. To be honest with you, I I wasn't sure how I'd feel coming back here. Every day, I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me.
0: Maybe it's been a long time since you've seen that movie and that clip. Those powerful words, earn this, earn this, and those words would shape Private Ryan for the rest of his life, that he knew he couldn't fully live up to what had been done for him because there's no way that you can earn the price that's been paid for your life, but that's the motivation. And the Apostle Paul had this similar feeling in his life because there is no way that he could earn what God had done for him. There's no way that that he could earn anything. And just with the context of the life that the Apostle Paul had come out of, now with With this in mind, I want you to listen to these words from Ephesians chapter 4. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, that God came after you that God came after you and here's what I want you to go home with it's just this one idea right here is to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received because God has called everybody in this room and there has been a price that's been paid for you and it's to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received and here's what I want you to ponder Here's what I want you to ponder is, what did God save you from? What did God save you from? If you don't know that answer, then it probably doesn't mean very much. If you don't know the life that God has saved you from, then it's not going to have much meaning. Where would you be if Jesus didn't save you and change you? What does it mean to live a life worthy of the calling that you receive? Because that's for every single one of us. That's the mandate that God gives us. So how does this happen? Let me give you just two things that we see in the Apostle Paul's life of living a life worthy. And the first is this, is that God's calling is personal. That God's calling is personal. Paul went from being the number one enemy of the church to the greatest spokesman for the church. How does this happen? Because God became personal to him. Jesus said, why do you persecute me? It is personal. And what Jesus says comes true. Jesus tells him, you will suffer much for me. And that's exactly what would happen to the Apostle Paul. Paul would be beaten and whipped and stoned and shipwrecked. And eventually, he would be led out of the city of Rome. And they would cut off his head and all for the price of Christianity of what Jesus had done for him. But see, all of this happened because it became personal to Paul. Now, I know where some of you are right now, because for some of you, there is this resistance to God that you come to church, but honestly, it is not personal to you. And and your thought is, Shane, if, if today, if I'm on my way to Target and there is this blinding light and all of a sudden I can't see and a voice speaks to me that... You know, it's Jesus says that I'm resisting. Okay, if that happens, I'm in. And you're waiting for those big moments that you come. And I want to get real personal with you. Because I think for some of you, you may be in your Damascus Road experience right now. You may be in this experience where there is an event that's going on in your life. Or there is an issue that you are dealing with. And maybe it's what has brought you here, and God finally has your attention, and God wants to get personal with you. And maybe you even consider yourself religious or spiritual, but God has never been personal. See, the Apostle Paul, he was religious, and in fact, it was religion that caused him to kill the Christians, but it wasn't personal And I wonder for some of you, if you are in the midst of your Damascus Road experience where God's trying to get your attention to make this personal in your life, maybe today is that Damascus Road moment going, okay, I'm ready. If I'm going to live a life worthy of the calling that I have, then it's got to be personal. Here's the second thing. To live a life worthy of God's calling means progress. It means progress in your life. Listen to Paul's words. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, this means that you are making progress in your spiritual life, that you are more like Jesus today than you were a year ago, that you'll be more like Jesus a year from now than you are today, that you're more humble and you're more gentle and you're more patient, that these are happening in your life. When Jesus says to follow me, think about this. Jesus tells everyone, you follow me. When Jesus says that to you, there is movement Because when you follow, there's no standing still. You don't stay where you are. It is moving towards Jesus that you're growing in your faith, that you have the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life. So do you have the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. See, as a follower of Christ, these ought to be growing in our life. That's the fruit of the Spirit of God in us. See, God didn't just save you from something. God saved you for something. That God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so the question is, what are you living for? Are you living for the approval of other people? Are you living for the approval of men? Are you living to please God to accomplish his purpose? Because God has a unique, specific purpose for your life. So are you living for that purpose? God's calling on your life. It is personal. That every person here has a Damascus Road experience where God has pursued you. And God wants to have a relationship with you. And some of you, you are kicking against God. You're kicking against him and going your own direction. And God's calling means progress. That God wants you to go deeper this year. God wants you to be moving. It's to figure out what God has made you for and to be that. Don't don't live someone else's life. Live the life that God has for you. few years ago, I was at that cemetery that was shown at the end of Saving Private Ryan. That cemetery is in France. It's right above the beaches of Normandy. And as you stand in that cemetery, this American memorial, and you look at the beaches of Normandy where you know that there are thousands of our soldiers who lost their life, it just does something to you. When we came there, it was a It was a June evening. We had driven and we had seen some of the beaches that the fighting had happened. We had been at Omaha Beach and then we were at Normandy. And we came to the American Memorial. And it was getting ready to close. And the the French soldiers told us, they said, this is your land. You stay as long as you want to stay here. It's yours. And so as we walked around the, the memorial, and we looked at the beaches where the soldiers had lost their lives, you just have this sense that you're standing on hallowed ground. It just brings this perspective of the price that's been paid for freedom. It, is, it was one of the most moving experiences of my life, to walk up and down and just to know the stories of all of these soldiers that paid their, with their life. See, that's why a day like today is important. It's not only for us to remember the price that was paid for our freedom as a country, but it's the price that Jesus paid for you and for me. And there is no way that we could have earned it. We'll be taking communion here in just a minute. This is the memorial for us every single week. It's the memorial of what Jesus has done for us. And for Saul, when Jesus becomes personal, it changed everything. And maybe there is a battle that's going on inside of you. And there is a God who invites you to have a personal relationship with him. That he pursued you at the point that he would lay down his life, Jesus would lay down his life for you. Because you are loved. I want you just to bow your heads in a word of prayer. And I just want to lead you here for just a minute. I want to pray this scripture over you. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy worthy of the calling that you've received. And I want to give the opportunity for some of you to make your faith personal today. For you to finally say, okay, God, I'm in. I'm receiving Jesus as my Savior. And you can pray that prayer right now. Say, I'm ready for Jesus to be personal to me. For some of you, It's time to go deeper. It's time for you to make progress, to move forward in your faith. Because God has a purpose for you. And maybe this is just a moment for you just to say to God, Okay, God, it's time for me to move. It's time for me to grow. It's time for me to have the fruit of the Spirit coming through my life. God, we thank you for this moment just to be able to remember the price that was paid for us. Thank you for Jesus, who paid the ultimate sacrifice because of your love for us. God, there is not a one of us that could earn it, but we want to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. So God, we pray this in the name of the one who gave his life for us. the name of Jesus.